Thanks for joining us today. We are always encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all across the world through what He's doing right here in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Please take a moment and share what God is doing in your life by sending an email to info at cccmurphy.com. We trust that you will be blessed by today's message. you're wondering what that is that's we're, we're starting something new here at Christ Community that you'll will will do from time to time you've heard of how news reporters have their man in the street well today is our very first man in the pew interview so if you would give a big hand to Noah Noah's going to be asking a couple questions because this is Valentine's Day I thought it would be good for, yeah, that's good on the song, thank you. <laughs> I'm waiting for Rocky to come out here. I, I, I thought it would be good for us to try and help to, you know, how many of you know that men need all the help they can get when it comes to relationships? So we've, we've posed a couple questions to help us guys out. And if you get it right, we've got a prize for you. If you don't get it right, I'll be taking your prize home with me. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Do I get one of them? Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll split it. Okay, so here we go. No, who do you have? Okay, and, I got John. John, can you stand up for me? All right. John, can you say, uh, how long have you been married? 34. 34 right, years. Give, give it up for John. All right, John, since it's Valentine's Day, we have a very important question for you. It's going to appear on the screen, and I will read it. If you are in a holdup and a thief says, your money or your wife, your response should be, Give the money. A, we got multiple choice. <laughs> a, let me think about it. B, mister, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> or C, you can have my money, but never my wife. See, of course. See, of All course. All right, let's give him a hand. All right. And what did he win, Noah? We got a $25 Chili's gift card for you. All right, so he can take his sweetheart out. I got another one over here, too. All right, let's Second see. question. Man in the Pew interview, who's up next? All right, can I get your name and how long you've been married? Dave Davis, 14 years. All right, All right give Dave. Dave a hand. Let's see how you roll out here. Here it is. An appropriate gift for Valentine's Day, an appropriate gift for Valentine's Day gift for your wife would be <laughs> A, a $5 gift certificate to McDonald's. You like McDonald's? Uh, not so much. B, a new set of mud flaps for your truck. <laughs> or C, chocolates, flowers, and a candlelight dinner. The answer is C. All right. All right. Give my hand. Another $25 gift card. Thank you for playing. All right. So let's give it up for the men in here today. You know that if you get held up on Valentine's Day, 
give them your money, not your wife. And you also know to make sure that you take your wife out for a candlelight dinner and have a box of chocolates and some flowers there. So I know my wife is going to be looking forward to that. And if I don't give it to her, you're going to be hearing about it next week. <laughs> All right. We're continuing a love that lasts this week. And what I want to talk about is, I'm going to subtitle this, a love that lasts is a love that provides and protects. Would you say that with me? A love that lasts is a love that provides and protects. Oftentimes, you know, a, a, a man's number one need in a relationship is respect and honor. And a woman's number one need is security. But when a, and the way that she feels secure is when she feels loved. And so as men, we have to provide that environment that not only are we giving her a love that lasts, but that love also provides and protects. Now keep in mind, you say, well, what, what's this got to do with serving God? It's literally the way that God put together the relationship that he has with us. In the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Paul begins to talk about marriage, and he says to us that he's talking about a mystery. It's the relationship that Christ has with the church, and he likens unto it. He likens it unto uh, the marriage between a husband and wife is because now that is how God wants it. Everybody say it's what God wants. Oftentimes we we, we see marriage or we experience marriage and we have heartache in it. And we begin to, we can, it's easy to ask the question, well, God, how come you let this happen? You have to understand that God gives us free will. God doesn't let stuff happen. Stuff just happens. Are you with me? Stuff just happens to us. And when it happens, it's easy for us to get disillusioned and become you know, confused and, and, and even begin to get bitter. But what God did is God creates marriage in his terms. And what he communicates to us is this is what I've always wanted for you. Even when you may not experience and when things may go bad for you, understand that God's desire and his purpose for you has always been this type of love. So it's never a question about whether or not God loves you. It's God laying out for you what his love looks like and what he wants love to look like for you. Are you with me today? So if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Ruth. And by the way, thank you so much for coming out today. I know the weather's inclement. We had other pastors contacting us or a pastor contacting us today asking if we were having service and I communicated to him that we, we are, I said, but, and then I told him, but you, you need to understand that we never cancel on a Sunday. Our doors are always open. We leave it up to the individuals whether or not it's safe for them to come, but our doors are always open on a Sunday. Aren't you glad that God is always open for, for business? Amen. In Ruth, the second chapter, the 15th and 16th verse, it's reading from the NLT Bible, when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. 
and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Everybody say, don't give her a hard time. All right, let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for your word that it's life, and we just ask God that you'll communicate that life to us today. Let me decrease, God, so you can increase, and I'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Let me share with you the story of Ruth. What happens is there is, this is going on in the time of the judges. Now, if you know anything about scripture, you know that during the time of the judges, the Bible said that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, how many of you know we get in a mess when we're doing what's right in our own eyes? You know, one of, the, one of the foundations of America had been for years until the 60s had been the Ten Commandments. They were in courthouses, they were in schoolhouses, they were everywhere. Why? Because it was the fundamental principles of God. It was showing us that we had a law to live by, that there's something that we could hold on to that was a constant, no matter where you were. It was literally about something not just communicated to America, but something that had been communicated to humanity. And so everyone tried to hold to that. And Jesus came, and when Jesus came, he implemented what we call the golden rule. And it's when he said, well, what's, you know, what's the greatest commandment? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said, and the second is like unto it that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so the golden rule became do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And so it's, it's about something that governs our lives. How many of you have ever kind of just gotten, I'm not asking you to jump up and testify over this, but how many of you have ever just kind of gotten, how many of you ever just kind of cut loose and there was really nothing governing your life? You know what I'm talking about? When all of a sudden, you, you know, and then you wait, I, I, look, I worked with guys that came in and guy came in and he said, man, he said, we, oh, what a weekend we had. He said, I woke up in a house. I didn't even know whose house I was in. <laughs> and I'm, I, I, I'm thinking, okay, now that's the way you measure a good weekend. And so, and, and you know, they talk about how, how out of their mind they got and all that. And, and I, I remember that used to kind of get to me and I thought, God, I don't, you know, they come in here talking about that. And the Lord spoke to my spirit and said, why don't you tell them about your weekend? So I did. I came in on a Monday morning. I said, man, you guys should have been at church on Sunday. We had folks laid out all over the place. Their eyes got about that big. And I said, man, I said the presence of God was moving. Saw me coming, but what it did is it changed the conversation. See, we don't need to be a, a a thermometer where we're just gauging the temperature in a room. We ought to be a thermostat. We ought to be the ones that are determining the temperature of the room. We need to get on fire for God so we can help others come to know Him the way that He wants them to know Him, and so. The, it's the time of the judges. It's the time when people are doing what's right in their own eyes. And there's a specific man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech lives in a place called Bethlehem, Judah. He has land. And you have to understand that land then that was given to families is not land like it is today given to us. 
land that they had was a part of their inheritance. It was what God gave them. It was his promise to Abraham. And so, and God even built it into the law that if they got in trouble and they ever sold their land, that there came a time when that land was given back to them because God said that can't ever be taken from you. It's always got to remain with you. But Elimelech finds himself, there's a famine in the land and it says that he cuts and runs. He packs his bags, he packs up his wife and his two sons and he heads for a foreign place called Moab. It's a place that didn't worship God. It's a place that worshiped false gods and he took his family there. Now you can say, well, he's just trying to provide for his family, but you never provide for your family when you're running from the promise that God gave you. You never provide when you're walking away just because it gets rough. Now, I want you to hear what I'm going to tell you. It's not recorded anywhere else in Scripture that people left Bethlehem during that time. But he left because how many of you know the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence? You ever see cows, you know, go down the road and see a cow and he's got grass all around him and he'll have his head stuck through the fence. And I'm thinking, what, what's up with that? You know, it, it always looks greener over there until you get over there and then you stick your head back through the fence on the side you were on to begin with. And so he goes to Moab and he... He never intended to stay there forever. He always planned to come back. Problem is, is he died while he was there. So he couldn't get his family back. And then Naomi is left without a husband. She has two sons and they're living there and they get married. They're there a total of 10 years and in 10 years, they die. And there's Naomi left in a foreign land with no husband and no sons. She's got two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And then all of a sudden, Naomi hears something. Naomi hears that there's bread back in the promised land. You're not going to get through life without running into difficult times. But what's going to make the difference in your life is what you choose to do during those difficult times. If you cut and run every time things get a little lean, you're never going to experience everything God has for you. David made the statement and he said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. What's he saying? He's saying, I understand that there's some times that I have to walk through some things I'd rather not walk through. But when I'm walking through it, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to run into fear because he's with his rod and his staff still comfort me. So Naomi up the few bags she has left and she heads back home. Her daughter-in-laws are going with her and on the way Naomi stops and looks at him and said, look, y'all need to go on back to your, your father's house. Go on back to your people and to your God. And because I've got nothing to offer. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you were drained dry and you just didn't have anything to offer? 
you need to understand something. It's the God that lives in you that brings life. Not the circumstances you're experiencing at the moment. And so Orpah turns around and she goes and then all of a sudden, you know, she's telling Ruth, you need to go back. You're, you know, your sister-in-law's gone back. Go, go back to your father's house. What? what? I, I've got nothing to give you, man. I, I mean, even if I got married again and I had a son tonight, are you going to wait for him to get old enough to marry you? I, 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 I've got nothing to give. And I'm sorry for your sakes that God's dealt bitterly with me. Huh. Naomi didn't realize it wasn't God that had dealt bitterly with her. It was Moab. Because when you walk away from the promise of God, you're never going to find the joy that God intended for you to have. And so Ruth, the Bible said that she entreats her. In other words, she begs her. She's saying, please don't, don't make me leave you. Don't, don't send me away. My question is, why doesn't this girl want to leave? Why doesn't she want to go back home to what she'd known all that time? Because for the however long they had been married, we know a maximum of 10 years, and it was probably not that long because they'd only lived there for a total of 10 years. But that somewhere in that process, when her boys married these girls, Naomi communicated to them about a God that was a alive and well about the God that they served and there was something that Ruth heard that made her give up all that Moab had to offer she didn't want Moloch anymore she didn't want the God that she grew up knowing she wanted this living God that Naomi was telling her about and now Naomi's saying go back to your father's house and to your God and she's saying no don't you can't do this to me don't tell me about a God that loves me and then leave me hanging don't tell me about a God that cares for me and not take me on that journey with you wherever you go I'll go your people will be my people your God will be my God wherever you die I'll die because there's some things still worth holding on to no matter what the cost and so they go on together when they get there, the women of the town look at Naomi and they say, is, is that Naomi? She, apparently something had changed about her because her name meant pleasant. But when they see her coming back and they're looking and, and there's a look on, the, how many of you have ever seen someone look like they've been eating lemons? I'm talking about they always got a sour look on their face find a lot of them in churches <laughs> you ought not find them there but sometimes I'm thinking folks if if we're supposed to be the light of the world then we need to we, we need to take a look at our face before we let the light shine on it because we're the hope of the world we're the ones that are going to tell them about the one that can change their life and so all of a sudden, they, she comes back and they look and they say, is, is this Naomi? And, and what's her reply? Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me happy. Don't call, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me, call me Mara for the Almighty's dealt bitterly with me. 
I've known folks that are believers and because of something they went through, they're holding a bitter attitude and you're never going to reflect the love of God if you're bitter. You're never going to cause people to see Jesus if you're walking around with a spirit of bitterness in your heart. You say, but pastor, you don't know what they did to me. Jesus knows what they did to you. And before they ever did it to you, they did it to him first. And he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You can't hold on to that. You got to let it go. You got to release it because when you're bitter, it doesn't keep the person in prison that you're bitter with. It keeps you in prison. Turn around, look at your name and say, just let it go. Let it go. You know what happens when you let it go? All of a sudden, you're not thinking about that person all the time. They're not on your mind anymore and it makes you gives you the freedom and the liberty to begin to think about Christ to begin to love him so she goes on and when she goes on you know and they're sitting there for a while and Naomi's you know in her house and you know I can I can visualize her in her rocking chair you know and, and with that attitude and and Ruth is thinking look man I didn't come all the way here just to dry up and blow away she looks at her and she said look let me go I, I'm gonna go glean in somebody's field what that meant was this, is that when harvest was going on, they would allow people that were poor to come in and pick up behind them what the reapers missed or what they dropped. And so they, they had to stay back a distance, but they were allowed to come and glean in the field. And so Naomi said, well, go ahead and go glean. And so she gets in this field and she's gleaning, you know, there. And all of a sudden, this guy, the guy that owns the field shows up and and his name's Boaz, and when he shows up, he, he looks and he said, well, who, who's that young lady over there? And they tell her who it is, and he walks over to her. A love that lasts is a love that provides and protects. Boaz walks over to Ruth, and he says, look, he said, I, I want you to stay in my field. Don't, don't go to someone else's field. What's he doing? He's protecting her because if she went in someone else's field, there was a good chance she was going to end up being raped because that's just the way it was then. Men would grab women and it was as if they had no rights at all. And he, he wants her to be safe. And so he tells her, you stay in my field. He, he said, you can glean here. The young men, have, they, they've drawn water and you can drink from it anytime you want to. I've already warned them not to touch you. You're going to be safe here. And she looks at him and she said, why, why would you treat me like this? Why, I'm a foreigner to you. Why would, why would you care for me like this? He said, because I've heard about how you've loved your mother-in-law. I've heard about how you left everything. You left your mom, you left your dad, you left your people, and you helped Naomi get back here. So God's going to smile at you. You know that when you sacrifice and you make yourself a servant to others, God will not forget your labor of love, but he will provide for you. His love not only lasts, it provides and it protects. And so she hangs out there all 
you know, during, during the rest of that day, he, he gets lunch for her. He, he's very kind to her. And when he, he goes up to the guys and he said, look, when she's gathering, if she gets in close, don't rebuke her. If, if, if she gets in close to where you're at, because they were supposed to stay a distance back. He said, if she gets in close, don't, don't give her a hard time. As a matter of fact, what I want you to do is as you're reaping, take some headfuls of barley. Just take handfuls of it and drop it to her on purpose. I want you to provide for her on purpose. It's not an accident when you get blessed. When you feel like you've struggled and you've been through hell and back and, and you don't know what to do, it's a, you, you need to understand something about the providence of God. He has not forgotten you. He has not left you. But just when you need it most, handfuls on purpose will come to you because it's a love that provides and protects. She goes home that day and she tells, and she comes home and she's, you know, depending on, you know, translation, she's got somewhere between a half a bushel or a full bushel of barley, which is unheard of when you're gleaning. And she goes home and Naomi sees this bounty that she's come home with. And she says, my goodness, man, where in the world did you get that? And she said, you, you're not going to believe this, but I, I went in this guy's field today and, and, and he, he told me to stay right there, you know, and, and he was kind to me. He gave me food and, 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 you know, well, what's that guy's name? Well, his name's Boaz. And she said, what? <laughs> all of a sudden, that funk she was in, all of a sudden, that bitterness that she held started to get lifted in a moment because Naomi said, Boaz is a near kin to us. What's he saying? He, she's saying, this is what Naomi hears, that God has not forgotten us. God has sent someone our way that can act as a redeemer. For God so loved the world that he gave he sent someone our way that can act as a redeemer that's why the scripture said that we've been made sons of god we are near kin and so he acts as a redeemer for us so naomi encourages her well stay in that field man he'll protect you he, you know you just stay there and she does all through the barley harvest and she does all through the wheat harvest and and i mean things are going great and you know and and and, and it's going good and then naomi at the end of it naomi says look i need to make provision for you you know and and this guy that that whose field you're in this boaz he's our next to kin this is what you do he's down there threshing wheat tonight or, or barley tonight you go down there and wait until he falls asleep and when he falls Falls asleep, go down and lay at his feet. <laughs> I've been waiting for this part of the message. Just you can just sit down, honey. Just. And so she he she picked up she picked up the the the, the corner of his cover. Now you can lay down and and and. And she, she lays down, she lays down and he's laying down there. Now I want you to think, man, about midnight, he turns over and there's a girl laying at his feet. That'd get your attention, wouldn't it? <laughs> he, he all of a sudden, like, Whoa! What, are you, what are you doing? Shh. I don't want anybody to know I got a girl in here. <laughs> so what are, you, what are you doing? And she said, 
cover me. What's she saying? She's saying, care for me. Don't leave me in the condition that you found me. And he takes her and he covers her. He, he says, look, he said, you know, you've, you've honored. You, you've been even more sincere because you didn't go looking for a younger man, even though she's only four years difference than me. <laughs> she just holds it well. She said... That uh, there we go, praise God. He said, that you didn't go looking for someone younger, whether they were rich or poor, but, but you've done, he said, this day isn't going to go by before I take care of this, I promise you. And he does. And they end up married. And she has a son. And the son's name is Obed. And Obed would grow up and he had a son. And his son's name was Jesse. And Jesse grew up and he had a son. And his son's name was David. So Ruth, a foreigner, became the great-grandmother of King David, who Christ would come through. What are you getting at? Listen to what David says. David makes a statement. He said, I've been young. And now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Don't you think for a moment that David didn't know the story of his great-grandmother Ruth? Don't think for a moment that he hadn't been told about how she was a stranger and came from a land that worshipped other gods and how that, that all of a sudden through the grace and the mercy of God she found herself united with a man that would care for her and it was a love that lasted, it was a love that provided and it was a love that protected and David reflects on all this and he said, you know what, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. He's always been there. There have been a few times I've wondered where it was coming from. There have been a few times I wondered how it was going to get to me, but it's always been there. He's always provided. He's always managed to get it to me when I needed it most. Everybody say a God that provides and protects. That's who Jesus is. In, in the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter, I'm not going to read the scripture. I'm just going to tell you the story. In the 25th chapter of Matthew, Jesus has got these folks that are with him, and they've been with him for three days, and they, they don't have anything to eat. And, and Jesus, you know, and the disciples are encouraging him, man, send them away, you know, so they can get something to eat. And he said, I'm not going to send them away hungry. I want you to hear that. Jesus will never send you away hungry. If you go away hungry, it's because you refuse to eat. If you go away empty, it's because you've turned your face the other way. 
But he looked at those disciples and he said, I am not going to send hungry. I'm, they'll faint in the way. He said, what, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to provide for them. Everybody say provide. Even when it looks like there's no way, he makes a way. Even when all he's got to work with is a few loaves and some smelly fish. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, which one are you, the bread or the fish? (laughs) Are you the little loaf or are you the smelly fish? (laughs) That's what he's going to work with. And and he takes that and he blesses it. And with that, he begins to feed multitudes of people. Don't you understand that's the miracle that he provides in our life? When I was just a lump of of, of unbaked bread, when I was just a stinky fish, you know what I'm talking about. When my life was in a mess, when it it didn't have anything to offer, he blessed it. And when he blesses us, not only does it provide for us, but it causes us to begin to be able to provide to others. There's only one thing better than you going to heaven, and that's taking somebody with you. (laughs) Providing for them a love that lasts, that protects, that's there. In Ephesians, he tells, I'm sorry, not Ephesians, in Hebrews, he tells us, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you're going through, no matter the situation you're in, he said, I'm going to be there. I'm getting ready to wrap up, but I want you to hear me. Sometimes, if we're not careful, serving God becomes nothing more than a routine. That we get up on Sundays and we go to church because that's what we do every Sunday. But we don't encounter him. That's why we're going to have an encounter night, a revival night, and, and, it, and, and we're going to worship God, and, and I'm going to preach, and we're going to have revival, and we're going to encounter the presence and the power of God. We're going to see God heal. We're going to see him fill people with the spirit. That, that's what it's about. But you've got to come hungry. That's why we're doing it on a different night. Only hungry folks come. You got to be hungry to, you got to, because blessed are they that hunger for they'll be what? They'll be filled. I don't want living for God to be a routine. I don't want going to churches to be something we do on Sundays, you know. I want it to be who I am. And when you begin to experience the reality of God, It'll cause you to fall in love with him with a love that lasts because his love is that kind of love. Now, I asked permission from Bob Hunsiker to tell this story, and he gave it to me. So I want to share it with you today. Bob was, he, he worked in the coal mine. He was on his way home one day when he began to feel, he got, he got sick you know, he just started feeling real sick. He, he got home and he told Mary Jane, that, and then when, by the time he got home, it wasn't just, he wasn't just feeling sick. He's starting to feel pressure in his chest. And he told Mary Jane, and she said, well, we're going to the hospital. He said, no, no, I'll be okay. She said, no, we're going to the hospital. And, you know, like every good husband, you listen to when your wife tells you you're... 
And so they got up and they, they headed to the hospital. But right before they got to the hospital, he got to feeling better. He said, you know what? He said, man, I feel great. He said, I, I, uh, that's left. He said, just turn around and, you know, and we'll go on back home. And she said, no, you're going to the hospital. And by the time they pulled into the parking lot in the emergency area of the hospital, he was in so much pain, he couldn't hardly take it. They rushed him in. They started trying to do tests on him. The doctor, you know, is, is giving him some bare, or not bare aspirin, but baby aspirin and saying, How, how's that? And he said, man, it ain't touching it, doc. He gave him some more. It ain't touching it. He gives him nitroglycerin and it's not helping. And finally, he realizes what's going on and he gives him a shot of something called TPA. I'm not going to even try and pronounce what that stands for. You can ask Nate after service. And Bob said, man, when they shot me with that, he said, it felt like I just started to melt into that bed. He said, I was feeling good. He said, I thought, man, if I go to heaven right now, it'd be okay. Because everything was good in his world. Well, it went on and the doctor began to see what happened and what had caused the damage. So he sets up and he's got to go in for surgery. He's got to have... He's got three blockages and they do two bypasses to take care of that. And it happens in Cape Girardeau. And when he went to Cape, he said that they, you know, he went in and they operated on him and they were amazed at how quick he was recovering from this surgery. I mean, they operated, I think on Monday and by Wednesday, you know, I think he'd been up and walking and, and Mary Jane is saying, you know, she, she hadn't been home and he, Bob's telling her, go on home, I'm, I'm fine, I'm gonna be fine. And, you know, and the doctors and the nurses are amazed at his recovery and so she decides that she'll go ahead and go home and so Bob's in his room Wednesday night and a nurse poked her head in and she said, are you still awake? And he said, yeah, I was just watching the weather and I'm going to go to sleep. So she turned out the main light and said, well, just call if you need anything. Bob says she couldn't have gotten 10 steps down the hallway when all of a sudden he just fell into a deep sleep. But he was awakened by his bed being picked up and bounced on the floor. He said he could hear every bolt rattle in it. He said it happened three times and, and just bam, bam, bam. And when he opened his eyes, he saw eight hooded figures around his bed. With the, 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 He couldn't see their faces because these cloaks they had on were protruding out, but he saw their hands on the rail of the bed just squeezing it like, if I can get a hold of you, I'm going to rip the flesh off your body. And he said, I, I started looking at that and he said, I was wide awake. I wasn't sleeping. I was wide awake. And he starts seeing this and he's thinking, what's happening? And he looked up and there was a window in the corner of his room and he saw a man's face looking through that window. And he said, I knew who, who that had to be. He said, but we were three stories up, so there was nothing for that 
man to be standing on it. He just saw a glimpse of his face in that window and, and, and those demons just grabbing that rail and thinking, you know, and he said, I, he said it was like they couldn't get their hands off the rail, that, that they wanted to get a hold of him, but they just kept squeezing that rail. And he said, and then all of a sudden, he said, you know, all this stuff is going on. He's thinking, God, what's, what's happening? And all of a sudden, an, an arm comes through the window and a hand reaches out and points a finger at those demons and he hears a voice say that's as far as you'll go you'll not touch him this is and all of Bob said man when that happened he said it looked like that bed rail just started getting hot and red hot and burning and all of a sudden those demons just let go of that rail and they started backing away. He said, I caught the glimpse of half of one of their faces and he said, and I could see the disdain on his face and, and his saying you know, it was like he was saying I, I, I'll be back, I'll be back. He said I asked him, I said, but man, what did you feel like? He said, I had a peace come over me like I can't tell you. He said, those things disappeared into the room. I said, well did, did, did you have, I mean, were you awake? the rest of the night. He said, man, I went to sleep and slept like a baby. He never thought any more about it. There was a because why? Because there's a love that lasts, provides, and protects. There's a love that'll take care of you. There's a love that you can count on. Proverbs 3 and 24 said, when you lie down, you'll not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. The devil tries to keep you tormented he tries to keep you upset. He tries to rock your world. Well, you need to understand that the one that created this world into existence can rock you in his arms and bring you peace that flows like a river. He can come and give you what you need in your most dire moment. Bob said, he said, I didn't even think about it. He said, I, I, did, I just went back to sleep. He said, man, I... I slept like a baby, just slept the rest of the night. He said, I never even thought anything else about it until Mary Jane showed up the next day and she was getting ready to walk out of the room. And as she was getting ready to walk out, she turned around, she looked at him, she said, how'd you sleep last night? She, he said that when she said that, he said, man, I just got choked up and tears started streaming down his face because he realized what God had done for him. <laughs> He's an ever-present help in a time of need. The scripture said, if God be for us, who can be against us? His love is a love that lasts. It, it provides and it protects. And Isaiah 43 verses one and two, listen to what he says. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid. For I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And in the very next verse, he tells us the reason why. For I am the Lord your God. You need to understand that he's not a, that this isn't about a water walk in the park. This isn't about some club that we've joined. This is about a living God that loves us so much. He'd rather die for us than live without us. So he comes to redeem us. And it's a love that lasts. 
He doesn't abandon you when you mess up. How many of you have ever messed up? Aren't you glad he doesn't abandon you? I think about how we get sometimes, you know, it, it, with the way that we love or what we call love. And we, you know, when somebody's not acting the way we want them to, we, you better tip, 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 tip. No chance I can make you believe that was planned. <laughs> but we just, we, we do, we just go, you know, we get, get in a huff and all this. And, but I thought about his love. A love that lasts. A love that provides and protects. Last Sunday, my wife left in the middle of my message because she'd heard it before. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, she had, I'd never preached that message before. She hadn't heard it, but she left because she got a phone call that the stork had landed. Our, 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 yeah. So our son had his first baby, a little baby girl. And as soon as I got done, that's why Noah was teaching class last week. I left. I said, you can cancel or teach, but I'm gone. <laughs> And I, I took off and we got there and I thought about little Vivian James. If you haven't seen pictures, we have one or two. <laughs> I thought about the love that we have for her. And I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but the first time that I held her, I felt a rumble in the jungle. She was messing herself. I'd, you know, it had been a while since I had experienced that. Obviously, I gave her to someone else to... I just, I, I held on to her and I, I didn't, I, got, I didn't go, oh my goodness, take this. This, I just held her and, and then... The next day, I, I, the next time I, I went and held her, she did it again. <laughs> and there's something about being in my arms that makes her feel like she can just let go. <laughs> now, now, stay here, I'm going someplace. Because she knows I'm not going to abandon her. I'm not going to throw her push her off and hand her to her parents and say, what kind of child have you? No, no, no. She's, she's my little angel. And I hold on to her because I love her through all that mess. And I'm just a person, just human. I don't even have the capacity to love except God had given it to me. So, don't you understand that his love for us doesn't turn us loose when we're in a mess? That when we mess up, he doesn't go, oh, I can't believe, man, I'm not going to. He loves you through your mess. Now, hang on with me. He, he will deliver you from 
your mess and clean you up in the process. <laughs> How many of you needed some cleaning up? Aren't you glad for a love that lasts, provides, and protects? Would you stand with me? If you get into the habit of running every time there's a famine, Elimelech never thought it would end up the way that it did. He never intended for his family to stay. And his family didn't just stay there. They died there. Don't lead your family to a place that you can't rescue them from. He should have never left to begin with. But I'm not going to be too hard on him because there have been times that I found myself in places I shouldn't have been either. But the mercy of God brought me home. Maybe that's why the scripture talks about it. I'm going to put it to you in plain English in the book of Proverbs when it says that it's better to have just a quiet morsel where there's peace than to have a full meal where there's a bunch of bickering going on. What's he saying? He's saying find peace in your heart. Don't spend your life running and looking for something that's better because when you find Jesus, you found the best. It may not always go the way you expect or the way you anticipate. Matter of fact, let me ask you a question. How many of you since you have been saved, since you've been serving God, have had some things happen to you that you would a whole lot rather hadn't happened at all? Wave your hand at me. For the rest of you that don't have your hand up, just keep on living. <laughs> it comes. But don't run from him. Run to him. Don't flee from his presence. Learn how to embrace him. Strange, isn't it, that when we run from God, the way that Jacob did, he only found himself being abused and used. <laughs> but when you start running to God, you find out that you're not even the same person you used to be. <laughs> Jacob had a name change. <laughs> Scripture said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many of you in here today are ready for that brand new life are you ready for it hey even the, even us that have been serving God for years need to renew our love and renew our walk and renew our faith because it's easy to get into a routine that's why there's a Valentine's Day every year 
to remind you get out of the routine don't take your wife or your girl for granted get out of the routine and remind her that she's special every day that I wake up I'm reminded that I'm special how because I remember that he died for me and friend that's something very very special so if you're in this place today and you've never said yes to him or you found yourself kind of in a rock in a hard place just where things just aren't moving you know they call that a cistern problem with cisterns is they collect a lot of stuff my grandmother had a they called it a well but it wasn't a well there wasn't anything alive feeding it it was just catching everything that fell into it so there were frogs in there I'm not making this up there were frogs in there when I was a kid we'd go to her house they would drop that bucket down in that well and pull it out and I remember the, how many of you are old enough to remember the pitchers? You know what I'm talking about? They'd, they'd have a bucket and you'd have a, a metal pitcher and you'd take that and drink it. I remember pulling that pitcher up and watching little squiggly things swimming in there and gritting my teeth and trying to strain out the squigglies because I was dying of thirst. Or at least I felt like I was. I'm so glad that the river that he's given us to drink from He's purified it with his own blood that he took the squigglies out for me <laughs> he got about rid of all the frogs you know I thought about Pharaoh and Moses tell you know they got in, an infestation of frogs they're all over the place and Moses goes up to him and, and and he says well ask God to take these frogs away and Moses looked at me said well when do you want them to leave and Pharaoh looked at him he said tomorrow I thought dear God help us when we're living when we're willing to live for, for another night when we're not ready to get rid of the squigglies right now I don't want another night with the frogs. I don't want another night with the squigglies. I want to find that river that bubbles up and will come flowing out of me. And that's what he offers us today. Would you stretch your hands to heaven right now and say, God, I'm ready for the river. Would you pray this prayer with me right now? Father, I'm asking you to come and rescue me. I need you I'm tired of the old life I embrace the new so I declare you now as my Lord and Savior thank you for the river that's fresh vibrant and alive I choose it right now in Jesus name Come on and give my hand clap of praise in this house. We hope you've been touched by today's message. I wanted to take a moment and just remind you how very much God loves you. The Apostle Peter tells us that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, 
God speaks through the prophet and tells us that I know what my plans are for you, that they're plans for good and not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God wants for your life. He has a plan and a purpose designed specifically for you. And you can walk into that plan and purpose by just asking him in your heart today. I wonder if you'd take a moment right now and just stop wherever you're at and pray this prayer with me. God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus was crucified on my behalf, that you raised him from the dead so that I could have life. And right now, I accept you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, we believe that angels are rejoicing in heaven because you've come home. Now the important thing is for you to find a good Bible-believing church and become a part of that as you continue your journey with Jesus. We want to invite you to come and be with us any chance you get. Until then, remember, Jesus loves you and we do too.